0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. A reading from Mark's gospel beginning in the second chapter and the first verse. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Craig, it's good to be home. Uh, I miss you all very much. And, you know, the, the saying goes, home is where the heart is. Well, as Christians, home is where the gospel is. And so for me, home is also in Grace Coleman, where some of my friends are here in the pew this, this afternoon. Grace uh, is spoken here at Advent, so that's where home is for me. Uh, home is where my wife is and who sweetly whispers the gospel in my ear. Home is when I'm with Ben de Hart, who lives the gospel before me in word and deed, and Craig Smalley, and all of you. So I don't say that lightly. This is this is home, this was our sending parish. But the phrase in our text this morning that Jesus was at home, it's kind of just a throwaway phrase, he was at home, and yet the people still approached him. Uh Ben and I can relate to this. We were colleagues in New York and we lived adjacent to the church. And so when we were at home, people came knocking on our door sometimes or ringing the doorbell, looking for uh, at the very least some help. And so yeah, Jesus at home, perhaps resting and yet uh, he could not get away from the people. And he's already got a reputation. This is chapter two in Mark's gospel. And yet he's already got a reputation as being a healer and a speaker and someone worth uh, knocking over roofs and coming down to see. So home is where the gospel is, and where Jesus was, the people knew there was something to be heard, something to be experienced, where it was worth knocking over doors and coming down through the roof. Where the gospel was preached and heard, given and received, not taken for granted and yet expected, that's where our home is as Christians. But can you imagine the desperation of this paralytic? I mean, can you imagine the need to come down through the ceiling, Humans, uh, we, we have desperate times and they call for desperate measures. I remember this well in, in New York, and uh, the first individual whom I baptized you know, you have dreams in seminary. It would be a cute little family with a newborn, and you'd have brunch afterwards, and it would just be lovely and just textbook. Well, my first baptism was not textbook, uh, it was a homeless gutter punk uh, in New York City who had a yellow mohawk. Uh, He was in his late 60s and kind of came through the punk movement growing up and uh, was addicted to heroin. But He was desperate. He was desperate. He knew what it meant to knock a door down to hear from Jesus. And so he would come to our healing service. Ben can attest to this on Thursday uh, afternoons at noon about this time, just to hear a word and to perhaps, uh, Lord willing, heal him of his addiction. I'm not confident that uh, Kenneth ever was healed in that sense, But I baptized him, proclaiming God's love over him, preaching the gospel to him, and he freely received it. But we're desperate times, aren't we? We're desperate at times to hear from God. And I'll talk more about that towards the end of the sermon, what it looks like when we don't hear this this, uh, liberating word from God. But the human heart's desperate. And so you and I, uh, we beat down doors if we need to, to hear the word. And that's the, the charge of the church. We make a way where people can hear it. I think sometimes we've aimed so high, we've aimed for leaders and politicians and the most uh, influential, and yet this paralytic surely was on the bottom of society, and they made a way. They gave him the privilege of coming in through the ceiling so that he could hear the word. So what was this word? What was this word that he heard? Well, I think perhaps he was looking to be healed, that's what he wanted to hear initially, but Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.'" Well, thank you, Jesus. I wasn't necessarily looking for that, but here we are. And yet, this is exactly what you and I know that he needed and that we need. Of course, the skeptics in the room, the scribes, and perhaps Pharisees were questioning among themselves, you know, how can Jesus say this? This is God's prerogative to forgive sins, not mere man. And so Jesus poses what he often does, a rhetorical question. He says, well, which is easier? Is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven Or is it easier for me to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Now, of course, they're caught between a rock and a hard place because you can kind of argue either way. Which one's easier to say? Well, in some sense, it's easy to say your sins are forgiven. Uh, Mere words uh, if spoken by mere man. And yet this is Jesus, fully God, saying these words uh, full-throatedly. And then on the other hand, of course, being Jesus it's just as well. He could have said, rise, take up your mat and go home. And yet, we know the words he chose. And on this side of it all, perhaps we know their import. But that word, forgive, that you've been forgiven, uh, it's not a word we hear often in our daily life. In fact, it's almost offensive. You know, if you run into someone or make a little blunder or mistake, you apologize. And usually, people don't say, you're forgiven. It's a little heavy handed, right? Usually, they say, oh, no worries, no problem, it's okay, moving on. But the words, you are forgiven, it comes as an offense because it assumes that you're in the wrong, whether you apologize or not. And we don't know if there was any conversation prior to this, but it seems as if, out of the blue, Jesus gives the man absolution. And I know we get, uh, and rightfully so, we, we study these things and we consider you know, the atonement, uh, the theory of the atonement, if you will, And I think we can get ourselves into a theological quagmire trying to work it out on paper. You know how exactly God uh, achieved uh, our forgiveness. And of course, the classic debate was: you know, uh, at the cross, it was once uh, and completed, finished, as Jesus says, "It is finished." But here we have it: before the cross, Jesus is saying, "Your sins are forgiven." That's not to negate the cross, but the cross is the achieving, crowning achievement. Of forgiveness, It's forgiven, forgiveness taken to its dying breath. And so Jesus, by fiat, by his word, by God's word, has the power to forgive sins. And what power and import that he did it on the cross. And he achieved it for us at Golgotha. And like I said, until the dying breath, his last words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then, of course, uh, it is finished. we would doubt Jesus if uh, his whole ministry and his whole life he had been healing and forgiving and then at the very end he said I'm done with this I'm tired of suffering angels get me down from this cross forgive my language but if he had said screw you guys I'm going home we would have nothing to believe in everything would be a sham and yet till the dying breath his word is father forgive them that is forgiveness taken to the very end. And of course, we know death could not contain that word. Death sort of finalizes, if, if you will, the, the human side of Jesus' life, is his mortal life, uh, but we know he's not mortal. And so death is a completion. We can't add to the story. The final word is forgiveness. And then in resurrection, he comes back. He says, my peace I give unto you. My peace I bring to you. In other words, reifying that forgiveness even on the other side of the grave. And if it were me or you, I'm sure we would come back wagging our fingers saying, where were you? How did you let me die like that? But he raises his nail-scarred hands and says, peace. And once again, achieving that forgiveness for them. So the paralytic perhaps wasn't looking for this, but you and I know this is what he needed and what you and I need. This was precisely Jesus' ministry to forgive sins. Yes, to heal, yes, to make right this broken creation, but primarily to to unify us with God as we're separated in sin. So I'm going to quote one of the great saints of the church at this moment. Uh, This is St. Whitney of Newark, New Jersey. It's Whitney Houston. And she poses poses an important question for you and for me. How will I know if he really loves me? In other words, uh, how will I know that this forgiveness is really for me? How how am I assured of this? I mean, you and I weren't there in 33 AD. We didn't see it with our own eyes, and yet it comes through broken vessels like me, like your clergy here, like your other preachers, like your spouses, like people in your community who preach this word to you. That's how we know. We don't know in a rational sense, but we're assured in our, our spirit by God's spirit through the preached word, through a little wafer in our hand, through a sip of wine, through a little water poured on our forehead, or if you were dunked in it. These are means of grace that assure us of God's love. So St. Whitney was right, how, how do I know? How do I know he really loves me? And of course, she's talking about a lover, but you and I can reappropriate that. And as Christians, our mission is to make it known, make it explicit. If we lose this word, we cease to be the church. If we lose this word of the gospel, we are, no, we are a bastardization of the church. We're a cheap imitation. So we preach this word day in and day out, Sunday and between Sunday, that sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus. And it conjures up faith, it raises up faith in us and that's why Jesus says, your faith has made you well on so many occasions. Not our faith, but Christ's faithfulness working through us and achieving it for us, allowing it to touch down in our lives. It's not a mere abstraction. So thank you, St. Whitney. We need to know this. And ultimately, of course, it's Jesus on the cross. Even though you and I weren't there, we access that through the word, through the sacraments, by God's spirit. And we see that 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 forgiveness did not cease in suffering. It was only amplified. What's the danger if we don't hear this word? I mean, Jesus could have healed the man and let him go, but what's the danger if he had merely healed him and didn't mention Uh, sin and forgiveness? What's the danger if the church does good works, you know, feeds the hungry, clothes the naked, visits the prisoner, and yet doesn't preach the gospel? What's the danger? Well, it's twofold. I mean, among uh, the the obvious theological point that people uh, continue to be separated from God and the dread of that reality, and I don't necessarily mean, I don't uh, exclude uh, eternal uh, damnation, but I mean in the here and now, The danger is people are like ducks on water. You know They can kind of fake and glide and look really good uh, from the top, but under the water, their little feet are kicking, and they're working so hard to achieve their own justification. And we're all (laughs) prone to be this way in our lives. We like to look a certain way from the outside, but we're working hard beneath, and it's killing us. We're anxious and depressed and lonely and despondent, so that's the danger is people are living that kind of life. They're not freed from their sin, they're not freed from themselves. I have a good friend who's a lifelong member of a church and a great church historically, and then overnight seemingly, overnight, you don't know this church, but, uh, and you don't know this individual, but overnight uh, the preacher stopped preaching the gospel. Stopped. Legalism took this church like you wouldn't believe. And so this friend of mine, he's, he's uh, quite a bit older than me, uh, but his children who grew up in this church and were baptized and married there, um, his grandchildren who were baptized there and were going to Sunday school, they left every Sunday thinking, why do I feel so terrible? Why do I feel angry? Why do I feel anxious? And it took a few months for it to click, but they realized we're not hearing God's grace anymore. It was a slow fade from their perspective, but overnight, uh, legalism took over that church. So the danger, the danger for the church is uh, we're killing people, and we're running them off. And maybe they go find another church. In this case, this person's case, he found another church. But for many, they never come back. And you hear things like, well, I I read the New York Times on Sunday mornings now, and I go to Starbucks. Not hating on either of those things, but that's their new way of uh, living on Sunday mornings, and again, like ducks, they're working hard to not be anxious. Or you often hear people say, Well, I, I commune with God in nature now. Okay, that's that's beautiful, but what happens when there's a tornado or a hurricane? I mean, it's kind of hard to experience God's love in the midst of those kind of things. People need the preached word. People need to hear your sins are forgiven. You are loved in Christ Jesus irrespective of what you've done or left undone. In fact, right in the face of that, because you're a sinner, God approached you and offered himself unto you. So we as the church, we as Christians, we, first and foremost, we hear this word. We have to hear this word. And then we are propelled into the world, not by duty or obligation, but we can't help ourselves, but to share it with our neighbor, share it with our family, share it with anybody who comes across our way. So my hope and prayer for you at the Advent and throughout this Lenten season, and I hope you hear this message every day and I'm confident you do with your clergy and the folks that are coming in, but just in case you haven't, your sins are forgiven. In Christ Jesus, not by the power of Jay Gardner, but by the power of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. No matter what kind of duck you are, what kind of work you've been doing, your sins are forgiven. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit inspires you to share that with your spouse, with your neighbor, with your children, with your grandchildren, with your great-grandchildren, with yourself, with your preachers. How do I know if he really loves me? Look to the cross and nowhere else. That's where you find God's love. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks that you have indeed forgiven us in Jesus Christ. And like the paralytic, we are desperate to hear this word. Whether we know it or not, we're desperate. I pray that this word penetrates our hearts this afternoon and from hereafter. And although we're leaky buckets and we lose these things, fill us up again with your grace. I lift up the advent to you. I lift up its membership and its community. And I ask, Lord, that this word would go out from this place